everyone, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow. Not going to do the regular show today, for obvious reasons. Seems incredibly silly to talk about football. And we don't even know what to talk about in that regard, as the league figures out what to do with the game from Monday that wasn't finished, and what it means for the weekend and for the playoffs, but they'll figure that out. And in the meantime, the rest of us all wait for an update on Damar Hamlin that we hope is a good one. We think of the family and the players involved, those shots of them on the field. We donate to his foundation. So much money, too. And it's not the money, though the money is obviously important. It's the act. It's the gesture. It's the number of people who went to the site and donated $5 or whatever they could. You know, you scroll through the donors list and you see some big donations and you see some famous names who are being reported, but you also see a lot of $10, $20. I know of a few fantasy leagues that were still undecided because of the lack of a full week of games who just decided to donate the winnings to the foundation, which has $5 million worth of donations right now. And I've seen a bunch of people say it, but man, to have him wake up and be able to tell him about that, I've kind of been numb since Hamlin went down on the field. Very in my head. And I know I'm not alone. I'm sure a lot of people involved with the game in whatever capacity or even just as a fan are trying to like work through some emotions or thoughts as they process this incredibly surreal moment in time that I think we all kind of knew we were going to experience at some point. And you don't know what it's going to look like. And We don't even know what this ultimately looks like, right? He's still in a hospital in critical condition. But you know that eventually there is going to be a moment in this incredibly dangerous game where we might not get that thumbs up that we're looking for as a player leaves the field that kind of symbolically gives us permission to turn the page. And we talked about it a little bit earlier this year after the Tua concussion, the first one, or at least the first documented one. Like, what is too much? What makes us stop and hit pause and reassess? And what leads to change? And what can change? You know, where is that inflection point for us? And, you know, I heard everyone on the broadcast talking about how this was something we'd never seen before, had never happened before. And they were wrong. We have. I have. Back in 2005, I was doing sideline on an arena league game in Los Angeles where a player named Al Lucas suffered a spinal cord injury on a kickoff five minutes into the game and did not get up and died. And as I sat there and I watched the scene unfold, In Cincinnati on Monday night, I could not stop thinking about that day in 2005. As I watched Lisa Salters try to report from the field, I thought of my experience in the tunnel of Staples Center, watching medical personnel shocking him with defibrillators, knowing that I could not report what I was seeing knowing that all of a sudden this was very different and knowing that while the people in the arena knew that Al Lucas had been seriously hurt 
because they'd cut off his face mask on the field. That's never a good sign, right? They did not know that this was happening. The players who had continued playing did not know that this was happening. I knew as the ambulance left that there was a strong chance that he might not live. And I tried to convey that off camera in the best way that I knew at the time to the television truck, to the producers, so that the announcers on air had a sense of the seriousness when they talked about it without revealing anything that didn't need to be revealed because the family was not there. They did not know. They were out of state. I remember reporting on a closed-door meeting between the commissioner and the team owner, Casey Wasserman, knowing, because of what I'd seen, what they were likely discussing, without acknowledging that I knew what they were likely discussing. And I remember the game ending and the commissioner, David Baker, who went on to become the Hall of Fame president, eventually gathering the few reporters that were there in the hallway outside the locker room and him telling us that Al Lucas had died. And I remember tears streaming down my face as I held my microphone in front of his face, trying to be professional, but not having any idea how to be. And every time I see David Baker to this day, he tells people, whoever is with us, that I was there with him on the worst day of his life. And it's this awful moment that we share together. And obviously, the players on the team shared that moment in a different way in the locker room. And the coaches and the trainers, one of whom texted me last night as Hamlin was laying on the field, I'm told that the players had a text chain going too that it brought out a lot of suppressed emotions. And then all of us watched as broadcaster after broadcaster said that this had never happened before. And it kind of made me angry. Irrationally, I understand. You know, I wasn't angry at the people that were saying it. I certainly didn't expect Adam Schefter to know about Al Lucas or the history of the Arena League or various high schools where, of course, players have died on the field. Four last year, according to a North Carolina study. But I felt angry that somehow Al's death didn't count. That because it hadn't happened on an NFL field with a national television crew on hand, that it somehow didn't register. That because it wasn't experienced by all of us collectively as part of a shared television watching experience, it was somehow treated differently. I thought, I hope his family's not watching. He had a two-year-old daughter in 2005, so she'd be, what, 22 now? But clearly, we are people who are visceral. If we see trauma, it affects us differently than if we hear about it on the news. Uh, this thing happened to someone I don't know. We move on. I found the way that we reacted as a society last night to be fascinating. For me, in the sense that it was so different. My husband texted me during the game as this was happening and said, they have to stop the game. And I literally said, and I'm not particularly proud of this, but it just is what it is. I said, they're not going to. I am glad that they did, but I think it's interesting that I was legitimately surprised that they did. And I've been thinking a lot about why I responded that way. 
And I think it has a lot to do with conditioning and a lot of what Ryan Clark and Scott Van Pelt talked about after the game when they were, by the way, brilliant on SportsCenter. In 2005, at the Arena League game, the game continued. And then they played the next week. And I reached out today to a player that was on that team, and I asked, was there talk about not playing the next week? And he said he didn't remember that even being a topic. Like, not on the radar. You just kept going. We all did. This awful thing had happened, and they flew to the funeral in Georgia the next week during their bye week. But other than that, they just kept going. And they cried during the moment of silence, and they wore 76 stickers on their helmets. That was his number. And they buried whatever emotions they had, and they played football. And maybe that's because they didn't see the CPR, the more extreme life-saving measures. That feels very different to witness on the field, right? So maybe it just registered differently. Or maybe the mental health conversation has just gotten to a point where we now know better about taking a beat. Um, I'll be honest, I don't know. I will say, and I do want to say, the continuation of the arena game, I think in that case was very specific. I think that people in the arena did not know how serious it was when they decided to keep playing. And then when they did know how serious it was, they were kind of stuck. The game was ongoing. They couldn't necessarily stop it and huddle up the players because his family wasn't there. They hadn't been alerted and they didn't want to make any public announcements prior to talking to them. And stopping the game would have effectively been them making an announcement. So I just, I don't, want anyone to think that they kept playing because they were callous. I just want to say that because in light of the conversation last night, I think it could look that way and I want to be clear. But I do think that it's notable that the NFL did not keep playing and that people stepped up and said, you should not be playing. And I don't know what happened with the whole five-minute warm-up thing. Did it happen? Did it not? I don't think it matters. I think what matters is that they landed on not playing. And if someone in the chain reverted to standard operating procedure for a second, I think that's understandable. Not because they don't have a heart, but because we are conditioned to keep going. You know, players go down, teammates go up, tap the stretcher, and go back into game mode. Outside of sports, we see people return to work or school, whatever it is, right after the death of a loved one. They're expected to return, honestly. We are masters at compartmentalization. Medical professionals do that. First responders do that. Reporters do that. Skip Bayless does that. I'll be honest, and I can't believe I'm saying this. I do have a degree of empathy for Bayless with regard to his tweets on Monday night. A degree. Because I think as reporters, we are trained, either literally or through experience, to take our emotions out of the issue that we are reporting on and think critically about the next four to five steps and seek answers to the questions that people aren't yet even wondering. And I don't think that it's shocking that that would lead to some insensitivity here and there. And I think it's especially not shocking that someone who has made a career out of dissecting athletes in ways that are particularly insensitive and has done so to cheers from the crowd and increasingly large paychecks that that person would suffer a misstep at a time like this. 
And then that's where my empathy runs out. I do feel like his tweet was probably misunderstood, but I also think he's done um, almost nothing to earn the benefit of the doubt in the empathy department. And for that, maybe he could take a beat and learn from this. I hope we all do learn from this. One of the things that the Arena League player that I reached out to said to me was about the continuation of play, the ability to, he said, uh, he called it control the switch. He wondered aloud in our conversation if 10 years ago when they had said five-minute warm-up, like they, you know, as, as was discussed at least on the broadcast on Monday night, if the players would have just warmed up. I think he thought that he would have. And obviously, as evidenced by my approach to the game that I covered that did continue, where I went right back to work the next day covering something totally different. I don't know that I would have thought to think of it in the way that we're thinking of it now. I think that we are changing. And I think that that's interesting. And I hope to God that DeMar Hamlin wakes up so he can witness our change. Serious XM Podcasts.